Hello, hey everybody, welcome. Oh, what is good? Huh? What is good today? <laughs> good Wednesday, everybody. What is what is good? That is a good question in the age of quarantine. Hello, welcome to the Media Boat Podcast, your source for news and thoughts about movies, television, video games, and music. Today is August 12th. That is a Wednesday, of course, as we always record on Wednesdays. We are marooned still. Is We're going on month, month four coming up here. I believe uh, so. Of being marooned. Um, so... Oh, it's got to be longer than that, right? If we, uh, when was your birthday? How old are you? <laughs> so if we started the Maroon shows the week of the 19th of March, then we have passed four months. We are going on five months. Yep. Yep, this would be <laughs> fifth month then. Yes. Or next week would be month next five. Next week will be our fifth month straight of doing Maroon podcasts. But you already know that, uh, listener or and or viewer at home, because you're stuck with us just like us in this quarantine uh, lifestyle. Yes, and you too have a wall right here that's just etched numbers <laughs> as the days slowly tick by. Yes. Uh, but yes, as I mentioned, Media Boat Podcast, we are here to tell you everything that you need to know about movies, television, video games, and music. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. We have to a whole lot more episodes than some good news has been during this quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't get offered millions of dollars, so... Not yet. Um, I heard the check is in the mail. The check is in the mail. Speaking of the check, let's check out the movie news. Oh, look at that segue. We're getting so good at this. I know, right? <laughs> it's like we've done this for five years almost or something. <laughs> let's talk about... Movies and movie news is where we begin that conversation. We, we start begin with R.I.P. in the box office. Yeah, we don't even need to mention that anymore. That's why I just skip it now. I know. When it comes back, we'll talk about it. But for now, let's talk about the news. First up in our news today is a story about a theater chain that people actually do like, the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, you can serve alcohol there. Yeah. Uh, and silence your cell phones everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, they're an independent kind of uh, specialty joint. Not everywhere, but they are in your major cities. And they just announced a new uh, experimental option for people to see movies for just $150. Yeah, just $150. Guests can up- invite up to 30 of their friends to rent out an entire Alamo Drafthouse theater in certain locations. There are more than 40 movie options to choose from for one of these guest nights, ranging from family fair to classic dramas to big budget action movies. The screening room rental costs $150 and there's a required minimum food purchase of $150 as well, assuming split between the 30 guests. Yes, I think your tab has to total $300, essentially. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Currently, two theaters in Austin, Texas and Denver, Colorado are available to rent as part of the new program. Since it's private screening, though, talking and using phones is allowed if the guests all agree upon it. Uh, This is, I guess, potentially neat. For example, if you already have, like, your office buddies are already working together amongst each other, already in a bubble together, 
in, and thus don't need to necessarily quarantine against each other. If you have 30 of them, hey, rent out of the Alamo Draft House for a nice night and see a movie. People will appreciate being able to go out with people they're already in the bubble with. What I don't recommend is people inviting 30 of their friends who have not intermingled quite yet. That's a disaster waiting to happen. And that's going to lead to those articles that we've seen come out about these people had a family get together and everybody caught COVID-19. Yes. Thank, <laughs> thank yeah. you for bringing that up. Cause that is the big point in this uh, article. Um, theaters have been known to do private events for movie screenings for corporate events for a while now. This is a new way for them to try and make revenue. That being said, yeah. Still be cautious. Just be smart. If you're going to do something like this, if you're going to see 30 people at once, be smart about it. Don't like just assume that everybody's going to be okay just because you're related or that you work together or you're friends. It's not going to prevent any disease from getting spread. People can, be hold, can hold it without even showing symptoms. So be careful. Don't let right. this lucrative deal trick you into thinking something that you can just do willy-nilly. Yeah, but, the Alamo Draft House will provide a safe space for you. Yeah. Not necessarily the safe friends you bring. Yeah. They're not liable for whether your friends have COVID or not. So don't be stupid. But if you have the wherewithal and you have the friends to do it, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. All right. And I think most of the films available are universal films. Okay. So, Trolls or Shrek? Well, to her. Go for it. Sing along. <laughs> yes, sing along version. While you're eating that food, $150 worth of food and beer. You know what? It sounds pretty fun. Yeah. I don't know 30 people that I, I'm not, I don't have a bubble of 30 people quite yet. I have a bubble still of two and a half, technically. Yes, but I do have a 30th birthday coming up. One friend for each year. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, think about it. Think about it. All right. Next story here. We turn our eyes over to Disney, where there's rumblings of a dormant franchise being revived yet again. Garth Davis. I guess he's a director uh, who has been involved in films such as, I guess, a film about Mary Magdalene and a film called Lion. Yeah, yes, that is Lion of the Academy Awards. Lion oh, that five one. years ago, I think, with Dev Patel. Yes, I remember that Lion now. Uh, Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman. Got it. Well, Garth Davis has been tapped to direct a new Tron film for Disney. Is it that time already? Remember Tron? Hey, I actually like Tron Legacy. Yeah, I did too. Oh, that was a pretty cool movie. Um, and guess what? It's said to be starring Jared Leto? So Jared Leto has been attached to this thing for six years now, roughly. So we'll see. Um, Tron would mark Davis's first tentpole film, and though he is not known for big-budget projects, insiders say Davis aggressively pursued the job, eventually winning over execs. Tron Legacy, by the way, the last time the Tron... uh, franchise was brought back to life brought in 400 million dollars worldwide but insiders still stress a green light has not been quite given yet on this sequel the film is still in development but davis's involvement is a push in the right direction 
Right. Also, Jared Leto went to Twittergram. One of those. Twittergram, Instagram, Instagram, Instatwit. Social media. Went to social media and posted that he had signed on to uh, star and produce in the newest Tron mm-hmm. project, which he called or which he wrote in there, Tron Aries, spelt the same way, A E R E S. Okay. All right. So if that has anything to do with like Tron War, Ares, God of War, not necessarily Greek myth, but having following in the steps of Tron Uprising, which followed in off of Tron Legacy, mm-hmm. it sounds good, but this also serves as a tech demo, um, as Tron usually does, first <laughs> with uh, computer graphics. CG and then Tron Legacy with the de aging and de resed uh, everything. And also 3D. That was a big 3D push movie. Yep. So, what's the next thing? Is this going to debut with those laser projectors? Maybe glassless 3D? Ooh. It would be a great film. It would be work. It would be a good Which idea. is highly technologically advanced in its own techno society to yeah. push a new technological breakthrough to get people to go back into theaters. It could happen. But Jared Leto. Uh, but yeah, then there's exactly. Jared Leto. But also Jared Leto. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe the rest of the cast will kind of pump up. If this even happens. If this gets, gets greenlit. If Disney makes it. We'll see. The second half of our Disney news here is a little bit of um, corporate rebranding. Corporate cleanup. Yeah, some cleanup. Uh, as they announced that 20th Century Fox Television will be renamed 20th Television. The new name cuts both the Century and the Fox from the studio's name. Why would they want to do that? You tell me. The move follows Disney dropping the Fox name from its 20th Century Fox film brand back in January, which we reported on. The well-known logo and title card, which has the words 20th Television stacked above spotlights, will stay the same. They'll just take the Fox out. Makes sense. This is just to clean up. Uh, I thought it was important. I just didn't want to put it, make a whole TV article about it. And it makes sense. It makes sense that you would do this to, they want to suppress the name Fox as much as possible. Yep. Because of, one, yeah. that it being associated with the old brand, and two, being associated with Fox News, which Disney knows is brand suicide at this point to associate themselves with. And three, $70 billion says they needed yes. to do it anyways. Yes. And also, they want everything to be theirs while still showing that they're going to at least honor some of the traditions by keeping the 20th name. Right, and they'll still keep the 20th fanfare and the, the spotlights. So yeah. it has that which it harkens back to. The, icon, the icons mm-hmm. like, will remain, which is smart. Yeah. All right, let's move out of television news and talk about some movies that we watched this week. Believe it or not, there's not one. There's two movies that we watched this week. One of them that you watched and one of them that we both watched. Ooh, let's get the one that I watched out of the way because it was terrible. Okay, so you have a thoughts, uh, a, a thoughts article on the website about this. But tell me about Seth Rogen is an American pickle. Seth, so we've reported on this film being made a while back, about a year ago, where Seth Rogen was going to play himself and his great great ancestor yes. in a comedy called American Pickle about a guy being pickle brined for a hundred years and then appearing today you know yeah. 
So it played up, you would think it'd play up on that comedic society of, oh, 100 year difference in society, 100 year difference in technology, 100 yeah. year difference everywhere. Like, oh my God, has so much potential for comedy, right? Shadow Water story. Exactly. So it, it does that. It just doesn't do it very well. Oh. Instead, it tries to shoehorn in the American dream aspect of what is the American dream 100 years ago compared to what it is now, what it means to achieve it, and what it is to uh, consider make it to have the American dream. Because people today have completely different aspirations and completely different goals from a hundred years ago, you know, clearly. Yeah. No, two world wars have happened in <laughs> almost a third. Yeah. Stuff, stuff's changed. Exactly. Uh, but essentially everything boils down to a story about family, about being with your family, trusting your family, and ultimately having a family, a successful family is the American dream more than a financial or a commercial success. Which, yeah, I can get, I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when two-thirds of your movie, you're trying to push the successful and financial side and showing how it's possible to go from nothing in a business world of today to become a financial and a social media success story, <laughs> to ultimately throw that away to say it's really about family. It's really two-faced and all of a sudden like a slap and a bad pickle in your mouth. So it sounds like a combination of a couple things. It sounds like one, it wasn't the movie you thought it was going to be slash wanted it to be. Yeah. And two, it seems like the character arc didn't work for you. Like it was trying to set up this arc where like that you think that this is what this character is aspiring for, like only to have them realize at some point, oh, never mind. It doesn't didn't seem earned. Yeah, especially when you have Seth Rogen present day at every single turn trying to sabotage Seth Rogen from the <laughs> past. Yeah. Whether it's like by ideals and posting stuff on Twitter because like 100 years ago, the ideals were so different. You can't just say anything you want anymore. People will crucify you to, oh, like now, like, uh, health inspection is now a thing whereas 100 years ago it was basically Wild Wild West, make sure no one gets sick. Now there's rules and regulations in place. Uh, labor laws is also thrown in there as well. So there's a lot of stuff that is layered like, oh yeah, stuff has changed. But at the same time, you're purposely throwing obstacles in front of your great-great-grandfather to make him fail <laughs> instead of trying to help him succeed therefore making you succeed as well. Yeah, it's not the most believable premise, but... Yeah. Very narcissistic. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds disappointing, because when you think, like, when you think, like, oh, Seth Rogen in a, like, a new film, like, that he seems to be, like, oh, like, all four and, like, gung-ho about, you think that's Mm going to be a certain level of quality. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was expecting more, like, either slapstick humor or tongue-in-cheek humor and not full-blown I'm angry humor doing bad stuff but somehow it works out for you humor yeah so on the patented media boat scale you're just saying 
Don't bother. Not, not worth your time. Not even to stream yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, if you uh, like Seth Rogen stuff, maybe, but, but yeah, this like is it's it's not one of his there. better ones. Yeah, it's not. It sounds like it's not even that kind of movie. So it's yeah. Like, Right, I had well, hope for it. I had hope. If you want to read more, uh, like I said, on MediaBoatPodcast.com, you have your article up about it. So yep. go ahead and read about that. Next up, though, uh, something that I actually do plan on writing an article about, um, from hopefully later tonight, um, is the thing we both watched. Which I told you to watch. You told me to watch. I told uh, told a friend of the show, Christy, about it. We both agreed to watch that on Monday night, so we did. Um, so yeah, Disney Plus has a documentary about, uh, Howard Ashman called Howard. And if you're not familiar, uh, listener slash viewer with, uh, who Howard Ashman is, he was a composer slash lyricist who works on Disney films such as, uh, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Hearts of Aladdin, um, until his untimely death in 1991. Um, but it's not just about his Disney years. The documentary goes back through the entire history of his career, including his storied career in musical theater, in which he and Alan Menken, of course, created uh, Little Shop of Horrors, which went on to be a, a successful Broadway show and later film adaptation of the Broadway show. Um, he had quite a life, and I was shocked how good this documentary was. Yeah, I was shocked at how in-depth the whole yes. thing went. Yes. Because uh, being on Disney+, Plus, I expect, oh, this is just going to focus solely on yeah. him being in Disney. There might be maybe yeah. 10, 20 minutes of him, like how he got the success yeah. into Disney, like for Disney to like even like approach him or vice versa, how that happened. But to like have basically the first hour of that film Mm-hmm. just be about his entire backstory and why you should care about how important Howard Ashman was is yeah. telling. He does a very good job at being a documentary about his life and not just the Disney stuff. Mm-hmm. So like going into this, I actually, I had a previous, a lot of previous knowledge about him and kind of the stories that were told here. Um, partially because I had seen of uh, kind of the other Disney documentary about this kind of thing, a uh, waking uh, kind of era, Waking Sleepy, Sleeping Beauty, which right. is also on Disney Plus. Um, additionally, I had read uh, Disney War, the book that uh, chronicles Michael Eisner's time as CEO at the company, um, which goes from '84 to 2004, which involves a lot of a uh, lot of Howard Ashman's work at the studio. And so, yeah, I went in already knowing pretty much everything this went over. Uh, so it wasn't like, new, none of it was new to me, but I still, came, like, I still came away with seeing and hearing a lot of in the, from the vault content that I had never seen before. Because there's a lot of un, unseen um, footage of him working on his craft and with Alan Menken, with the orchestra, with the voice actors. Uh, and it's fascinating stuff that they've dug up. Yeah, I found that his original demos that he submitted to Disney to be the most fascinating out of all of it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, this is exactly what it is, but it's in his voice on a piano, yes. pared down to its most basic form. But because he's such a great lyricist, yes. the whole point still gets across. He also like implemented the whole want song 
yeah. that yes. ran on for the following 10 years. So that happening is chronicled in Disney War. Uh, so I knew that that had happened, but that was the first time I had seen it with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool to see like, oh, these animators wouldn't know this. That's right. Like animators would not know musical theater structure. They like maybe a couple of them do, but for the vast majority of people in that room, Howard Ashman was the only one who knew about this kind of thing. And yeah, so it was really cool moment. Like, Oh, that's the moment that literally changed like how Disney made their animated movies, which of course, on the flip side of that, it makes it even more sad that he didn't get to see it become the enormous successful machine that it did through the rest of the 90s. Like, he didn't get to see Aladdin be the box office smash that it became. Like or, he didn't... or the theatrical smash that it came. Right. And Broadway show that it came. Yeah. Same with Beauty and the Beast. He didn't even, yeah, he didn't even get to see Beauty and the Beast theatrical release. And so, like, just to think about how sad, and of course... The reason for that, and the and the documentary does not shy away from this at all, which also surprised me, was of course uh, AIDS. Uh, he he ultimately died because he was diagnosed with AIDS. Um, and the like I said, the documentary does not shy away from talking about the reality of what having AIDS was in the early '90s, late '80s. Uh, it is in a very kind of un-Disney way, I thought, was just completely just like straight up about everything about that part of his life. Straight up basically saying, yes, the company specifically didn't know because they were keeping it secret because they were worried that the company would fire him if they found out, if the story got out. Right, there's only a total of like a literal handful of people within Disney who knew one that he was sick and two that yeah. he uh, had relations. Yeah. Of, of his relationship. That he was status. gay at all. Yeah. Like he didn't know. Nobody, nobody knew beyond his inner circle. And the other thing I noticed about all that stuff is that there is one person in this that is never mentioned in this documentary that it seems very, very strange to me that he's never brought up, not once, not even when you have literally all the other leadership from the studio that actually has is quoted here. Jeffrey Katzenberg is throughout this thing, right? Yes. Peter Schneider is throughout this thing. Of course, that makes more sense because he is, was actually, like, he got his job at Disney because he knew Ashman and Mencken. But... The one gaping hole in this thing that I'm so baffled by, there is no mention of Michael Eisner in this entire hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, that's... It's weird, right? Weird? It's weird. Because I, mean, I guess he never had any direct involvement with he him. He definitely did, though. And that's the thing. Yeah. Eisner was often in the room. Like, so, again, having read Disney War, their relationship, like, Eisner and... Katzenberg were all, always at each other's throats because Jeffrey really wanted to be in the room every time decisions were made for the animation. So he wanted to be in the room where it happened. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I guess it would make sense that he would have had more interaction with Jeffrey Katzenberg and that's why Katzenberg would have been day to day more so in the involvement. But I know that Eisner was in those rooms every once in a while. 
Like he had a piece of the creative process. And because that was his whole thing as CEO is he wanted to be involved in the creative process more so than previous CEOs had been. Arguably, probably more than current CEOs have been. I don't think Bob Iger had that kind of hand in the content as much as Eisner wanted it. Um, they're just, he was just a different kind of CEO. So it just that was kind of weird to me. And I'm wondering if that's a company mandated move, just that they want to distance themselves from that from his, I guess, what they perceive to be his stink on that era, like bad stuff that went down in the 2000s as opposed to the good stuff he did for the company in the 90s. So it's like, seemed kind of strange to me, but still makes sense, I guess, because, yeah, you're, you're right. There was more of a day-to-day kind of interaction with Jeffrey Katzenberg just because of his role in the studio. But I don't know. It was interesting... But overall, though, I was shocked how, especially compared to Waking Sleeping Beauty, how non-corporate this felt. How this just felt like they wanted to tell Howard's story as accurately as possible, and they did. No holds barred, no punches pulled. They just, every aspect of who that man was. is Right, I would be curious if this was a doc that was submitted around film festivals that Disney just ended up buying. And... I think that's possible, except for one thing that maybe throws that off, is that it's directed by Don Hahn, who is a Disney director and lifer, who's been there forever. And so what I'm thinking is that it probably was a Disney project the whole time, but Don probably insisted it be the real story and probably told the higher-ups at Disney, like we want to tell everything about who this man was. We're not going to tiptoe around the things because we want to honor him by doing this. Because I bet they were really close friends. I mean, they worked together on Beauty or on uh, Little Mermaid. And so it would make sense that he wanted, who wouldn't want to honor who Howard Ashman truly was. So, so yeah, I think it's cool that it got made. I think it's awesome that it's available to people on Disney plus and that it's going to probably make a lot of people realize how much of a hand he had in shaping both those specific movies that he helped make, but also the Disney renaissance as we know it. So, yeah, it, so definitely highly, highly recommend. Definitely highly recommend. Yes. Highly recommended if you have any interest whatsoever in Disney history. And if you want to go further back in Disney's history, uh, Disney plus also has the boys available as well uh, about the Sherman brothers. Yeah. And then also, as you mentioned, Waking Sleeping Beauty. Which isn't bad. I still recommend uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, but just know that there's, a, there's some things they don't touch at all. In fact, most of Howard Ashman's story is not brought up at all. Uh, yeah, that's very much more the corporate version of that story. And that one has a lot of Michael Eisner in it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know, right? Anyway, um, so yeah, that, uh, that also is available to you. But yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah. All right. Anything else to say about movies? Um, not about movies. I didn't see any other movies this week. Uh, I watched real quickly the Clint Eastwood film Jewel. Benjamin Jewel. Okay. That guy's Richard Jewel. Richard Jewel. Yeah. Yeah. That's a movie. Yeah, that's that's a movie. Richard Jewel. <laughs> that's a movie. It was a movie. Uh, 
yeah, so I watched that. Uh, it's available on HBO Max as part of that new weekly film. Um, it's a Clint Eastwood film. It moves pretty good. I suggest it because uh, it has a lot of stuff in it that I didn't know about considering when it happened in 1996, I was five. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. So not really on my radar, but... No, um, I didn't think so. Real interesting look in how media portrays people and assumes guilt before anything happens. So yeah, give it a check out. Directed by Clint Eastwood. Uh, I believe it tried to get nominated and wasn't yeah, last I think, year. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. But I, don't know, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Sam Rockwell, excellent in it. He's excellent in pretty much anything now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard Jewell, Clint Eastwood film. Check it out. No. <laughs> I will not. Or not. Right. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about television. We always start television with our sports corner. First up in the sports corner, I know everybody listening to this is real excited and curious about football happening very soon. I know. Well, yeah, we'll talk about football at the beginning and end of this segment. Oh, yeah. There'll be a lot of football to talk about. But first up, the NFL, professional football, 66 players across all of the teams have decided to opt out of the upcoming season. I want to say that is the most opt-outs we've seen in any professional league in the United States. Yes, um, I believe every team had at least one opt-out except for the Atlanta Falcons. Okay. Everyone there is returning back. Patriots had the most opt-outs at 12. Wow. So that's like uh, the entire yep. team. Uh, the opt-out deadline was last Thursday at like 6 o'clock. But people can still opt out yeah. whenever. So this includes not – this would be mostly probably because of concerns about COVID-19, but it could potentially be other things too. Correct. Family, it could be family-related issues yeah, family as well. Related, existing illnesses or existing mm-hmm. uh, injuries perhaps. Right. These were just the initial ones who said, we don't want to play. We feel the most at, at risk. So uh, be careful with your fantasy draft. Yep. Because <laughs> your favorite might not be playing. Uh, or your not-so-favorite may have gotten a bump up all of a sudden. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, off the bench all of a sudden. Well, some rookies definitely got some bumps. <laughs> the Clyde hype train is alive and well. <laughs> Uh, in other sports, uh, the PGA Championship has a winner in the form of the 23-year-old Los Angeles native, Colin Morikawa. Uh, this is his first win in 12 matches. Cool. I believe it's 12 matches. He's a newcomer onto the scene, so look out for Colin Morikawa in more top 10 finishes. Yeah, I mean, 23, he's got a whole lot of golf left in him. Yep, uh, he also oh, broke the trophy. Forever. He broke the trophy? Uh, he lifted it up, and then all of a sudden the top came off. <laughs> Man, all sorts of things are breaking in the world of golf lately, huh? Yes, because also this past weekend, Brian DeChambeau broke his driver. <laughs> you, you, you texted me this with no context? And I was like, I don't know context. who that is, and I don't know what that means. So I Googled it. And I found what you meant, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't know that could happen." I didn't. Know, I mean, I knew it could happen because they're like two. They're two different parts. It screws on, but it just broke as he leaned on it. Just 
boom, nothing. Yeah, weird. Uh, unusable. Uh, any other sports stories you want to touch here before we go into our biggest sports story? The Cardinals have still yet to play a game. That's the baseball Cardinals, we should yes. say. The baseball Cardinals, uh, they're this current the season that they're supposed to be playing uh, has been postponed. Yeah. So I think they're reaching more postponements than they have days off, oh. which means double headers. I think they're currently at 12 games behind schedule. Oof. Because players just keep testing do. positive. Yeah. Yep. Rough. Rough if you're St. Louis Cardinal. And NHL playoffs and NBA playoffs officially begin tomorrow. Wait, what's yes. tomorrow? No, Friday. Fourteenth. The fourteenth. Friday the fourteenth. Yeah. Tomorrow is the last day for um, teams to qualify for the playoffs. I think currently there's a three-way tie for eighth place in the NBA, which means we will have a playoff game on the that Friday in order for this official seeds to be finalized. Got it. But not so, for hockey, because they're gonna play five overtimes, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, apparently, right? I saw I saw that uh, a, a a screen cap from a game that was like talking about a seventh seventh period stretch, and I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's a long ass hockey game. <laughs> yeah, it was five overtimes. Um, the <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes official account tweeted at the NHL that they needed to get the other team off the ice. <laughs> that they were hogging the ice because they were supposed to play. Yeah. They got delayed. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny, though. It's like, it goes to show you that, like, I mean, baseball and, and hockey this year, just long-ass games. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. You're playing until it's done. Yep. Also, baseball is still happening. Uh, MLS, I think I saw wrapping up its finals and its rush back. Welcome back, Soccer League. Yep. Tournament, whatever. Yep. Uh, yep. And no other sports happened at all. That was it. All right. Then let's talk about some more sports not happening. Nope. No sports did not happen. No. <laughs> all right. So this is another follow up to our running story about college sports. The NCAA continues to full, be full of drama. So Dave. this started off as bullet points, but as the story grew, it just yes. needed its own story. All right. So first up, days after UConn became the first FBS program to cancel its football season altogether, the Mid-American Conference decided not to play football in the fall as well. Yep, just canceled the MAC. Uh, the whole season was canceled, postponed till next year. Then Mountain West postponed football. Then, the Big Ten Conference presidents and chancellors voted Tuesday to postpone all sports seasons, including football, with the hopes of playing potentially in the spring. Then, not to be outdone, the Pac-12 CEO group voted unanimously on Tuesday to postpone fall sports and will look at options to begin to uh, uh, return to competition next year. But wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more. Urban Meyer said that what said what many are thinking after the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced the postponement of fall sports. Quote, the conferences might as well have used the word canceled, at least, for football. 
you can't ask a player to play two seasons in the calendar year. When I first heard that, I said that I don't see that happening when I hear that. The body, in my very strong opinion, is not made to play two seasons within a calendar year. That's 2,000 repetitive reps, and football is a physical tough sport, so I don't really don't see that happening. So listen to Urban Meyer. It's done. Don't worry about it until next season. So when we last left this off, it yeah. was the Pac-1200 players sign, uh, writing an op-ed to Sports Illustrated saying, we don't feel comfortable playing. Following that, Q Tuesday or Q Thursday or Friday, mm-hmm. uh, number one potential number one pick, Trevor Lawrence, basically went on a Twitter raid saying we want to play and got the hashtag going, hashtag we want to play. Upon news that uh, the Mid- uh, Mid-American Conference decided not to play in the fall, he wanted to get in front of this and basically voice his concern that we need to play, that as student or as NCAA football players, we would be more, uh, not more comfortable, but safer in the comfort of college campuses in front of being tested every day, in front of basically having a housing and academic life that they would have away from their home life, that they would be safer, which he does have a point seeing as most uh, collegiate athletes do come from poor neighborhoods, you know, this is their, their break from the everyday life. This is where they can go to better themselves, better their, their stock value, their draft stock. See Exhibit A, every season of Last Chance You. Exactly. <laughs> so ad- by advocating for the players, he's basically saying that we as players need to play to get back to normal and we will be safer from coronavirus if we are in a facility such as a campus where we can be monitored where we can have nice living quarters and testing all around us and access to um, medical facilities that we might not normally have access to yeah, that's all. Benefits. Yeah, there are a lot of benefits to having students on campus. That being said, but there's also a lot of negatives about having students on campus, and yeah. and when you as a university are would be prioritizing football players over everyone else, you're basically saying that you are more than just students to us which technically yes <laughs> because they represent the school and they bring in money yeah but since they bring in money that would classify them as employees wouldn't it so what you're saying the the, the this again like we said last week this is pulling on the thread of the concept of amateur like of amateur professionalism basically mm-hmm. in college athletes it's, it's, it's the, finally the dominoes falling that have been set up for years about people talking about how these athletes should be treated like, treated like professionals because they basically are. And so, yeah, as soon as you start kind of using the logic of these players, which is like, well, you need to like keep us safe if you're going to, if you're going to make us play, you have to keep us safe. 
which, yeah, then if you compare it to, yeah, but we're not even having regular classes, and then you realize, where are our priorities? And that's this, un, the, of course, every, the, the great secret that's not really a secret, which is the, the colleges have always prioritized the athletes because you're right, they bring in money, they bring in prestige, they bring in fame, they bring they, in... They bring in recruitment, recruitment. of not just other players to your school, yeah, but, but of people who want to be a part of that lifestyle, to be a part of that success and the name that goes with yeah. that football and or basketball season. So that being said, though, I ultimately think that it's a, probably a good call to not have collegiate sports. Oh, please tell me why, because according to Twitter, everyone wants these people, to, these kids to play. Well, not the people that I follow, let me tell you. Oh, uh, I, I, <laughs> I didn't go on people I followed. I went down the people who right. commented. Oh, yes. And who retweeted. Never look at the comments. You know better. Always look at the comments. I, I need to know how the other side thinks here. But anyways, no, it's the, the thing is, is that it's a big risk to even have people on a college campus at all. It's a big risk to have people interact with people who have not been in their current bubbles as it is. So prevent, like college, having college sports is just as risky as having professional sports. And as we've seen through baseball is that if it goes wrong, it can go wrong on a big scale and it can prevent games from happening and it can prevent people from playing the very sport that they were signed up to play. It's like you have, if you're going to have it, you have to be extremely safe and you have to have these bubble situations, which is not going to be the case for these, col for these colleges. You mean college athletes and college kids in general are not the most responsible people? No, no, they're not. But that's not the point. The point is, is that if they were going to do this, they would have to have the infrastructure to do it, and they just don't. It's a system, it's a systemic thing. It's like, the, just colleges are not built to house this kind of thing. There's, so it's just not safe enough to have players live there, to have players exist there, to have players play there. And so... It makes the most sense right now to just cancel it altogether and wait till next season. I mean, yes, I agree with you, but tell that to Twitter. Tell yes. that to every comment I've seen that says we should let these kids play and then completely ignore all the staff, faculty, cleaning, housing, dorms, travel, security, RAs, food, all this extra stuff that goes into housing and playing not just football games, but running a school essentially to yeah. keep these kids safe. Yes. And now, putting, and throwing yeah. all of them aside because you're worried just about the kids not playing. Yeah, there's going to be a debate. The internet's going to be split about this because the internet is split about literally everything. Um, it's like we've seen this over and over again uh, from all sorts of topics especially the last couple of days. So yeah, like it's going to, it's going to be the way it is, but yeah, I ultimately think that colleges, these colleges specifically are making the right calls here. I say, wait, just wait. The internet will get over it. There'll be professional football potentially uh, for them to watch. Like everybody will be fine. We'll figure it out.
See, what the NCAA should do is give everyone an extra year of eligibility. Say, you, you didn't play this year. Nobody's playing this year, this upcoming year. Therefore, everyone gets a new year of eligibility. If you want to stick around, if you're graduating and play, you can. Otherwise, become the fifth-year senior. Become the sixth-year senior. We are giving you the extra eligibility so you don't put yourself at risk because we don't know long-term effects that can happen. I mean, there was just an article today on CNN about a 21-year-old who had organ failure like weeks after they had coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah, we're still learning. We still don't even know, which makes it even a better idea just to not risk it. Anyway, let's talk about something a little less dour. Although... Oh, real quickly, though. Since pretty much all fall sports are canceled, and for those that aren't canceled, let's just say they're not going to happen. Something's got to fill those gaps. Okay. Right? They're already booked for TV schedule. Big brain thinking here. Okay. NFL games on Saturday. They could probably do it. You get you would have to get rid of um, lockout games, and basically go go away with regional regional blocks and games. But if you do game on Thursday, game on Friday. Yeah. Six games on Saturday, six games on Sunday, Sunday night football, and then Monday night football. There's 15 games within there that you can fill to have on and on major networks and not be blocked out. So it's everyone true. gets football. And then, uh, double, the price, about- and then uh, double the price, price of red zone. And then... <laughs> well, no, you, you would get... You would just take whatever money the either double whatever you're getting for commercials or take whatever the NCAA college was getting for its commercials. Yeah, I don't know. I want to say that that's probably not how it works and this is probably not going to happen. No, but I'm saying that, you know, if you're the NFL and you see a big time slot on Saturday where people could yes. know, use some football games. That would make sense. It would also like alleviate their schedule of traveling and you know, of broadcasting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'd still, I don't think that that just the corporate negotiations that would have to, have to happen for that to work won't happen. It's not a corporate negotiation. If you're the head office and you say, this is how it's going, <laughs> you're doing this. Yeah, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> anyway, now let's again talk about something less dour, at least Unless you're a big fan of Avatar The Last Airbender, which it might be a kind of a dour story for you. So here's the deal. A while back, we heard that there was going to be a live-action adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix. Yep, Uh, which we talked about here. Well, originally, the Avatar creators, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitsko, Uh, were involved in the project. I say were because they are no longer involved. This ha- I think this broke today? Yes, today, this morning. So yeah, um, when they first signed on to make the series, Netflix was committed to working with them on their vision for the show. But quote, unfortunately, things did not go as we hoped. 
<laughs> unquote. The live action version of the hit animated series was first ordered at Netflix back in September 2018. So it's been a long road to get here. And ultimately, I guess, once production, you know, I guess does, when, wasn't going the way they wanted it to creatively, they bailed on it. It might have been slow moving because there hasn't been any major casting calls on it. Right. And like trying to even like solidify what they want to keep in a script and how they're going to pare it down to 10 episodes. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. quite a loss. Also, this just highlights how slow TV news is currently. <laughs> yeah. Because this story broke today and normally I don't do stuff like that, but. But no, I did see There's a lot nothing. of people about this, though. I did see a lot of people on Twitter kind of up in arms about this. Yeah. Although I did see one interesting take, though. One person said, uh, I believe it was uh, Matt Braley, the creator of Amphibia on Disney. Uh, he actually brought up an interesting point that this actually gives them an opportunity to potentially have someone of Asian descent show run the show, which hmm. could potentially be a good move for them to do. Because if you are going to need to replace the original creators in a show running position that's not a horrible idea that's i like that big brain right there of course matt braley also of asian descent word you know oh so he's trying to toss his head oh. in the ring <laughs> no i th- i think he has got his plate full with amphibia i want to believe but but yeah um it's a great point and um netflix should consider it yeah um possibly I mean, we saw, I didn't mention this, but we saw Disney hiring someone for uh, Captain Marvel 2. Yes. uh, Who was, uh, I know it's a woman, but I don't know if she was. Yeah, I don't don't remember her name. Yeah, she worked with uh, Jordan Peele doing Candyman director. Yes. But yeah, um, if there is opportunity, you know, it's smart to make way for opportunity to happen. Absolutely. That'd be great. All right. Now with uh, television news out of the way, it's time to talk about television that you've watched. And I say you because I have not watched any new television this week. This is all yours. All right. So let's start with what I started, teased last episode, which is I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yes. HBO docu-series chronicling the Golden State Murderer. Yes, not the Golden State Warriors, the Golden State Murderer. Yes, uh, Golden State Killer, I believe, is the actual name they settled on. But okay, uh, this is based off the book by Michelle McNamara of of Patton Oswalt fame. Uh, his late wife, because she had passed away yes. before the book was finished, but um, she had written so much of it that the book was pretty much finished. Just did some quick edits, which she got some from friends. And then it went on to become the New York Times bestseller for weeks on end. Two movie deal, which turned into TV deal, which turned into HBO Max or HBO deal. Um, so it's chronic. It's, I strangely liked this. I normally don't like the unsolved murders, unsolved mysteries, true crime dramas yeah. dramas that happen because i feel like they're too gotcha and too dramatic <laughs> but this does an interesting take in that it chronicles the writing process 
and how a writer goes from finding a concept to gathering information and then writing about it and becoming essentially obsessed with trying to figure out who the killer was, given all the evidence that they have. Real interesting. It's also real quick. It's only six episodes and not 10 like a normal season. Each one's only about an hour. So it goes by really fast and the interviews through it are very captivating. It's not so much focused on the victims, but rather the how you approach talking to the victims and how they each help each other and how like basically an online community who is interested in something like this get has come together through the power of the internet and how technology, which wasn't available back in the 70s and 80s when these murders happened, is now finally caught up to where people can share information and ideas and collaborate to get a bigger picture than what they would normally be working with. Um, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not big on true crime stuff, but I found this really captivating. It's working for you. It, it worked for me. Yeah. Um, it's a good thing that I waited until this week to talk about because that finale, whew, it's chilling because it, because spoiler, if you haven't been paying attention to the news for the past year, they caught the guy uh-huh. partially using the book and partially using DNA ancestry evidence. Mm. But the TV goes into that and says, yes, this is how it happened. But then also gets the killer's take or at least the killer's family's take of what they thought of this and how having the book and the conviction come out, how it affected them and how they feel like does it how it like taints their images and taints their memories basically of them growing up and how even though the guy had daughters who grew up to have daughters like how it's basically soured that whole kind of relationship and everything that associated with the one guy mm-hmm. killer mm. yeah I also don't really care for that kind of thing but. I could see how this would be. There's just enough layers to this. Mm-hmm. And because of the recency of this being resolved. Right. Uh, yeah, it makes it a little bit more of an interesting subject. Yeah, it, I think what captivated me more was the writing process rather than the actual murders. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's also a good little look into Michelle McNamara's life as well of how someone can become interested in something like that and then thrust themselves wholly into like i said basically becomes an obsession a compulsion to not only finish a book but to kind of solve this jigsaw of a puzzle right yeah yeah i, I highly suggest it uh i kind of want to say i see this being nominated next year at least dominated, not necessarily winning, <laughs> but because docu series is such a specific subgenre, yeah, yeah, it's got a high chance of being nominated. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else do you get? Uh, on the lighter side, Ooh. the Muppets are back. Yeah, they sure are. <laughs> so, 
did you see Disney Plus Muppets yet? I have seen uh, exactly five minutes of Muppets now, and that five minutes was enough for me to be like, I don't need to watch this. <laughs> Is that because it moved too fast? It's just not what I want, I guess, out of a Muppet show. It's YouTube for Muppets. Uh, yeah. Muppet show has been rebranded and retooled to become an online show where each week it's different segments mm-hmm. uh, highlighting different Muppets doing different segments on a YouTube style. Here's your three to five minute shtick yeah. before we move on to a different Muppet. Which I guess was kind of like what The Muppet Show was, essentially? No, The Muppet Show was more like a review. It was more like, we're going to do all these sketches on this set and have guests on this set. What this thing seems to be more is like, yeah, let's how to translate the like loose premise of that and put it in a modern context. Yeah, it's more loose. It is more loosely based off YouTubers off vloggers yeah. off the internet age of the internet existing kinds of YouTube content. Mm-hmm. Uh, but put in a Muppet universe style spin yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the jokes hit in this, I think just, just comes with age, yeah. but it moves really fast, ridiculously yeah. fast. Uh, the comedy moves fast, the pacing, the cuts, the editing, Everything about this is just fast. It's like Muppets on ADD. Yeah. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, or more specifically, the green frog in the room. What do you think about the new Kermit voice? Because it's the first thing I noticed. This is the first big piece of Muppets media with new Kermit in it. I could not like I could not deal with it. I was just like, he's so close, but he's not there. He's That's the first him. thing I noticed was like, wait, this is not Kermit. This sounds different. Yeah. It didn't sound no. the, it, I don't think his voice got high enough to hit the Kermit range. It's like yeah. just below it to be yeah, different. He just misses it somehow. Yeah. It's not like for a lack of trying, he like gets there sometimes, but it's just, it's just the thing that happens every time somebody gets replaced in a voice acting capacity, which is like, it's not going to be the, person before him right i also think that's a stylistic choice of i don't want to just basically be a copycat i want to be myself doing kermit i don't want to just be kermit i want to be my kermit yeah but it's tricky when you've heard the same kermit for almost your well actually in our case is probably our entire lives yes uh going to a new kermit all of a sudden is like going to a new mickey mouse which we haven't had to do well no we did actually we did that's right. It just wasn't that. I guess it was a more seamless transition. Well, I think, eh, I don't want to say that Disney kind of forced a, a specific sound, but. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. Um, Anyways, yeah. New Kermit's the first thing I noticed. Yeah. Was, it's Kermit. Like, he has a very distinct voice. Yeah, he's the star of the thing, so. Yeah. It seems interesting conceptually, but yeah, I'm just like, eh, this isn't for me. It's two episodes in. I'll continue to watch it. Yeah, it's weekly. It, yeah, it's weekly. Plus. It's on Disney Plus. And like I said, it runs fast. Like even that 30 minutes an episode, 26 yeah. minutes, it runs 
fast. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, it's guest stars. Guest stars galore. Danny Trejo was on it. <laughs> I saw the interview with RuPaul. Yeah. I think the Swedish chef bit is one of my favorites because Swedish chef yeah, yeah, is always exactly. a favorite. Uh, but yeah. All right. What else do you got? We have one more thing on your yep. docket here. All right. One last thing because we start with sports, because we talk about sports in the middle, might as well end with sports. Sports, sports, sports. sports. Because that's all TV has become now. Nothing new. <laughs> Just sports. <laughs> it's, summer. it's summer. TV will be back in some sort, I guess, in the fall. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. Uh, but we have Hard Knocks. New season of Hard Knocks. HBO Hard Knocks football. Hard Knocks, cool, in Los Angeles. Right. It is non-team specific this year. Yes. As they decided to go with Los Angeles as both the LA Rams and the LA Chargers not only fight for the same city, because, but fight yeah. for the same stadium. The new yeah. the newly built billion dollar SoFi Stadium. In the sports so. world, Los Angeles is still a city. Unlike the sports world, in which it uh, a giant time hole opened up over it, and now it is infinite and is referred to as Los Angeli, because there are multiple. Yes, and there are infinite tacos as well. Yes. Too many. But all with the same player and the same stats. <laughs> well, the, the commissioner of baseball, so real, this is your baseball update minute real, real quick. The commissioner on Twitter today said that he was doing some sort of protocol to revive the um, members of the tacos uh, back to normal, except the last tweet in that thread just says, wait, implying that he hit a snag on the way. So we'll see. <laughs> Uh, what happens, what the fate of the Los Angeles slash unlimited tacos uh, ends up being. <laughs> Baseball is on a, a siesta right now, by the way, for a couple weeks. It will eventually return. But right now, there's no baseball being played. Oh, anyways. Yeah, pump those servers up. Anyways, Hard Knocks Los Angeles. Anyways, Hard Knocks Los Angeles sees both the LA Rams and LA Chargers deal with COVID and also with this unique preseason being there are no preseason games. Yes. That's it is strictly training camp. You can only hit against yourselves. And the only time you're going to play against someone else is week one of the NFL, which yes. the uh, series will cut off prior to that. Right. So this is the first right. time Hard Knocks has gone without ending on a game. Yeah. I guess that's why they picked two teams to fill it better. Yeah, maybe. I mean, creatively, that gives you a lot more stuff to cover. Also, locally, it saves you a lot on travel and on your producers and hiring mm-hmm. crew. That's, I'm sure, appealing. Yeah. Uh, but it's also unique to see, you know, you get to cover two teams this time. So you can see two sets of rookies, including yes. the running back Cam Akers for the Rams and the quarterback Justin Herbert for the Chargers. And you can all see like the different styles of team meetings and how people go about treating and addressing the coronavirus. That was one of the big things in this episode was how it felt like an ad that that an ad for saying coronavirus is still here. Here are some testing protocols professional athletes go through. Yeah. You'll have to go through this too if you get it. And even if you don't get it, this is what happens during testing. Also, yeah. remember to keep six feet apart. 
remember to keep your mask on. We have logo masks as well. Your local team probably has logo masks. Yeah. Uh, Sean McBay, McBay. Oh, yes, McBay, because he went shirtless and just super jacked for coach. <laughs> He's contractually obligated to take off his shirt. Probably. I mean, he got in the pool and also showed his fiance, which now wife, I guess. But yeah. Um, smoke show. <laughs> Not my words, doctor's words. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> no, no. Anyway. Sm- smoke show for both of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so if you love hot people, check out Hard Knocks <laughs> in Los Angeles. Yes, if you like shirtless football players, boy, are they shirtless and ripped. <laughs> shirtless the most shirtless um the new game of thrones so you don't think that not having preseason games are going like are going to affect the show much you think oh it will affect the show because that's kind of like the highlight you think there's going to be enough to cover uh with two teams there will be enough to cover because normally what happens is you get half episodes to 40 minutes of just covering that week's practice Right. Last 20 is covering the games and covering like the players and their highlights of who you, who they've been following. Yeah. Which also puts in a snag into this whole preseason is that they need to cut players without seeing them actually play. And it's heartbreaking because especially for this yeah, this first cut, it was, hey, come back to camp for two weeks. Now we have to cut you. Right. Because we have filled up on that position. Now go back home. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's like, you told me to come here, and now two weeks later you're kicking me out? It's not fair. You know, because you're not really showing what they got, strictly going through walkthroughs. But that is the current world that we live in, so. There is. If you want, I mean, that's also what gives me caution in drafting rookies in fantasy football that they're not going to have a whole lot of time to play against other teams before week one. So rely on veteran players early. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, yeah Hard Knocks has started. That'll go for the next four to five weeks, I think. Until football. Until season one, because we're a month out from official football games. Yep. All right. Well, maybe I'll check that out since I have access to it again, thanks to HBO Max. Yep, so. You can also check out I'll Be Gone in the Dark and American Pickle while you're at it. <laughs> I'm not going to, but thanks for the advice. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about cancellations and renewals now that we've cleaned up the television All right, What am I no longer watching? You're no longer watching Siren on Freeform. That's the Mermaid Show because it's canceled after three seasons. True TV, meanwhile, is bringing back Tacoma FD for a third season. TBS has The Misery Index for another season for three total. High Fidelity on Hulu canceled just after the one season. So, um, sorry, Zoe Saldana. I think she was in. Sorry, that was High Fidelity, Low Viewership. I guess so. Soulmates on AMC coming back for a second season and Love Victor coming back for a second season on Hulu. That, of, that is a spinoff of Love, Simon, the film. You mean Love, comma, Simon love, and Love, comma, comma, Victor? Comma, Victor. And then Hulu also renewed Taste This Nation for a second season. So if you want to continue tasting that nation, you can. 
taste it. All Tasty. right. And we move Delicious. into deaths. We move into deaths uh, real quick. Uh, James Harris, aka James Kamala Harris. No Kamala relation, Harris. No relation to the uh, woman just um, added to the Joe Biden presidential ticket. Uh, no, James Harris was a professional wrestler, age 70, uh, WWF, CWA, WCCW, uh, known in wrestling circles as Kamala. Yep, uh, known as the Ugandan warrior. I saw this trending for hours and people were freaking out that it was talking about the other Kamala. No. Uh, Raymond Allen also this week, aged 91, actor in Sanford and Son, Good Times, and Starsky and Hutch, among others. Those are some old-timey shows. Yeah, because he's 91. That checks out. That checks out. That's it for deaths. Moving on into music, and I toss this over to you. All right, and we'll start music with the Billboard, and we start the Billboard with the Hot 100. Hot singles in your area. It must be summertime, because yes. I got some watermelon sugar. Okay. That's the title, Watermelon Sugar by title Harry that Styles. <laughs> yep, Harry Styles, Watermelon Sugar. Not a new song. It's been kind of around the vicinity of the top 10 for a few months now since his last album release, which is earlier this year. Uh, but yeah, finally hitting number one. Interesting. Well, that knocks down Rockstar to number two. Yep. Uh, by Da Baby featuring Roddy Rich. Yep. At number three. What's Poppin' by Pop Jack Pop. Harlow featuring the Baby, Tory Lanes, and Lil Wayne. Yep. At number five, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd, and at number five, Roses by Sink Jin. So that means that all of the, both of the Taylor Swift singles got pushed out of the top five this week. Yep. Uh, but it didn't get pushed out of the Billboard 200, mm-hmm. as Folklore is once again your number one album uh, by Taylor Swift for this week. Thanks to the strength of uh, physical release, uh, of its physical release, I bet that this hangs out at number one for longer than we think it will. Okay. And number two, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon by Pop Smoke. And number three, Legends Never Die by Juice World. At number four, Hamilton, an American musical by the original Broadway cast. And at number five, My Turn by Little Baby. Little baby back after back. being gone for a couple weeks there. Well, if you don't like any of those albums, we have some new releases. Slow music release week. Oh, you're telling me. Yeah. Because uh, we have Twice as Tall by Burna Boy. Burna Boy. And number two, or also, Motherhood <laughs> by No Joy. Yes. And your last new release, Welcome to. Conceptual Beach by Young Jesus. Yes, Young Jesus. Yes, uh, not Young Jeezy. Young Jesus. This is Jesus. Yes, Young Jesus. All right, uh, let's get into some music news, shall let's. we? As, ooh, it's a catch-up song. Or a catch-up song. Catch-up song. It's a, uh, not only a catch-up story on something we've been reporting, but a... Um, it's over story, a resolution to the story. Yeah. Also, it's a lawyer story. So yay, on all fronts. Media Boat checks all the boxes for the Media Boat podcast, really, honestly. Yep. As a federal judge has dismissed Genius Media Group's lawsuit against Google and Lyric Find, 
alleging the company's ripped off song lyrics from Genius, ruling that Genius doesn't have standing to sue them since it doesn't own the rights to the original lyrics. The Genius lawsuit, which was filed last December, had sought at least $50 million in damages from Google and Lyricfine. In a ruling Monday, Judge Margot K. Brody of the U.S. Court for the Eastern District of New York sided with the plaintiffs, being Google. Uh, Brody found that Genius's lyrics transcripts are derivative works of the original lyrics, which are protected under copyright law. However, Genius doesn't have the ability to sue for copyright infringement because, quote, the case law is clear that only the original copyright owner has exclusive rights to authorized derivative works. Yeah. End quote, which you wrote in the, in the deci- decision. So, so we, when we had previously reported on this, it seemed kind of messed up that Google was just like taking the Genius content and pretending it wasn't by them at all, uh, pretending that they had basically authored it. And to a certain extent, yeah, you would think that because they're derivative works that they can be copywritten, and that is true. But this is why things go to court, because a lawyer can point out the thing that you've been missing the whole time, and the thing that they were missing is that only the original owners of the original lyrics have the right to actually authorize any litigation against these things. So Genius has no ability here. They basically had no right to right to ownership because they're not the original owner. Right, because even though it was pretty obvious that Google was taking their lyrics via the red herring Morse code in it, yes. the lyrics themselves didn't belong to genius the original owner so if i'm understanding this correctly what it sounds like is if now bear with me here this is a weird metaphor yes it's as if a weird owl song a parody of an existing song another artist made a song that sounded exactly like that weird owl song and weird owl tried to sue that other artist be like you ripped me off he does Weird Al has no right to sue because he was already basing his like work off of another work. So he wouldn't be able to sue person Z in that case. Only person X could sue person Z. Yes, that's what it sounds like. I yeah, think that's what you're getting. Which is fascinating, because I didn't know that that was the case. But it makes sense when you think about it. Right, except, except in that Weird Al case, I do believe Weird Al owns his music, even though it is a derivative work. But again, though, that just because it's copyright doesn't necessarily mean that he can... That probably limits the amount of things he could sue on. Yes. Which is the case here. Genius can't sue because they just are a repository for these lyrics that are owned by someone else. Right, and this is why $100 million lawyers exist. Yes. So you can win cases like these. Why you go to law school to learn weird things like this. So yeah, um, it's unfortunately that means the story is basically over and that Google could just do this forever, which sucks, but what you gonna do? Uh, You're going to 
take genius and become the record label genius. <laughs> so that way you own said lyrics. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Can you imagine the first rapper to sign to genius? Yes. It'd be young Jesus. <laughs> young Jesus is not a rapper. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway. What about Anyways, our... that puts that story to bed, I guess. Boo. Yeah. Sorry. I know it was good while it lasted. Speaking of things that were good while it lasted. Yeah. Smash mouth. <laughs> oh boy. So in case you hadn't heard of this story, because it seems um, to be everywhere on social media. You told me that this was going to be the story today. All right. Well, <laughs> while playing at uh, the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally Sunday night, the band Smash Mouth, yes, that Smash Mouth. The band Smash Mouth. Did not feel any need to avoid the elephant in the room, which would be the fears of outsiders and apparently few in attendance that the socially undistanced gathering could be breeding ground for a coronavirus super spreader event. Mm-hmm. As singer Steve Harwell basically, not basically, he literally said, F that, F that COVID S. You can Wait, say we, it. We're an explicit yeah, We're explicit. So he said, fuck that COVID shit. Yeah. Uh, as it could be heard uh, as him telling the crowd in the video footage. Uh, quote, now we're all here together tonight. Uh, Smash Pout appeared cheerfully about going on with the show, although several of the best-known acts that had been destined to perform at the 10-day gathering had pulled out, including Willie Nelson, ZZ Top, and Leonard Skinner. Yes, I, I can assume for age-related... I was going to say, yes, you could say that, yes, those are all old ass dudes which is probably the main reasons why they skipped out but at the same time though come on smash mouth like these guys should know better like steve harwell has actually been a pretty progressive guy on social media he's been championing a lot of causes and so it's very strange that this is the hill i guess he wants to maybe actually die on although the article, I didn't post all of this in, the, in our notes here, but the article does go on to basically talk about how the staff of the event were taking precautions. Everybody um, performing were also taking precautions. They had all been tested prior. They were all making sure that at least the backstage part was taken care of. And they, they had advertised that they wanted the... the, the attendees to also be distanced and to, you know, follow certain protocol. But what the footage shows is that you can say that to everybody as long as you want, and the people ultimately have the choice to whether or not they will adhere to those policies. And they did not. They chose not to. And ultimately, the onus is on the organizers to make sure that it's impossible for them to do that. That's why you can't have these things happen in the first place. Right. It's like with the schools opening up that you can say, yes, you can wear a mask if you want, but we will not enforce it. Yeah. However, they will strictly enforce you posting on social media about it. Yes. And do everything they can to battle you on it. It's just, yeah, it's just, 
Yeah, it's, yeah. It, I, I, from what I read, it was they were worried about the organizers and the staff putting it on more than they were about the attendees at the event. Or more or like they, they knew. They left it up to them. Yeah, because they knew where they could force it and they knew where they right. can't. Unfortunately, you just can't. Uh, with an outdoor like like venue like that, people are just going to come as they are. And yeah, it's, Thank you, Nirvana. It's, yes and it's just like you just have to you have to know that that's going to happen and like which makes you know the comments that that steve harwell made on stage kind of a little shadier right is because if he's all of a sudden encouraging hey you know screw it we're all here and we're having a good time not saying hey y'all should probably distance from each other and wear your masks again which he did not do so then again, it's the onus is on the people organizing it and the performers to a certain extent to encourage the behavior and not encourage not behaving to the protocol, which is why right. it also depends on where and how you say it. Because like yes. you could be at a breast cancer event and say, fuck that cancer shit and everyone right. will still cheer. Like, but that's the thing. And so, yeah, it's interesting because when I told friend of the show christy about this that's how she also interpreted it as, it as and she was like oh well maybe he was just saying like man doesn't covid suck and i said yeah but it's context right mm-hmm. if he follows that up with we're here together tonight that implies he's saying we're here in lieu of there being a pandemic we're here to defy the pandemic which exactly. changes the context of what that means so mm-hmm. yeah not great. Not a great image for a Smash Mouth guy. No. Uh, sounds like someone should smash him in the mouth. <laughs> I wouldn't go that, so, got the, that far with it, but he, he went down a couple of tiers in my uh, respect tier. All right. But let's stop talking about that. Let's. All right. Uh, let's have some thoughts. You, you have some thoughts. Before. I have some thoughts. You have some thoughts. Oh, I have some thoughts. Okay. Tell me about Luke Bryan. Oh, you want to know about Luke Bryan first? I want to tell me about Luke Bryan. Yes, that's what I said. All right. So Luke Bryan is a single man and also a singles artist. (laughs) He puts out hits. He puts out singles. He is a single machine. So it's weird. When you have an album come out, and the first song on that album is a two-year-old song. Okay. And the second song on that album is a year-old song. Uh-huh. The third song is new. And the fourth song is really, really new, as in he put it out the previous month. <laughs> <laughs> so he's been working on this project for a while. Yes, and I think this comes at the extent of just being a singles artist, is that you don't create a comprehensive album. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, this song could be made a hit now. I'll eventually put it on an album. I think I had this same problem with another uh, country artist earlier. Yes. This year or last year. Or, yeah, this year, Jake Owen. You said this about the Jake Owens right who put out Who put out songs last year that I heard him play live that had yeah. been around that all of a sudden now are getting on an album. Right. Uh, I think Thomas Rhett does this as well. It's 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 a I wanna say it's a just it just happens that way with people who put out singles and rely on singles. 
it's yeah the, the we've talked about this on the podcast before but the world of the industry of the country music treadmill is different it is very still much reliant on singles where a lot of the rest of the music world has moved on the country machine is built on hit songs still and so what you see is yeah you see weaker albums because they're not putting out albums as a statement they're putting out albums as a collection of their singles the way rock and roll used to be yep mm-hmm. so that's why I, like I, I heard it it was okay i haven't put a thoughts album on it because i found a new album that i needed to write about oh okay right yes that story is up on the website <laughs> yes, yes, you don't is. need to talk about that here i'm just going to say if you want to read the most fascinating thing i've that he's ever written that i've ever edited for him uh go on to mediaboatpodcast.com and look at the music section just trust me uh, you gotta give him a little more lead than that. It's Old Dominion. Sure, yes. There's an article about Old Dominion on our website, mediablepodcast.com, that you check should definitely out. look up. Check it out. Trust and me. And then check it out. But you also put up something, I think, in the music, right? I did, yeah. But it's from a couple weeks ago. I just didn't talk about it on the podcast, so we don't okay. have to. Right you don't want to talk about it now either? No, we can skip it. All right, let's okay. move on. Well, let's move on then. Let's move on to video games as we yes. wrap this up. Uh, with new releases, as we have a Total War Saga colon Troy for the PC. EA Sports. Don't use the Trojan horse, they'll see right through it. Nope. Trust me. Uh, uh, it's a sneaky way to get in there. Don't, don't do it. They, they'll find, they'll see right through it. They won't be fooled. Don't use the Trojan horse. Okay, Helen. Yeah. Right. Okay. We also have EA Sports <laughs> UFC 4 for the PlayStation and Xbox. Death and Re semicolon <laughs> 2. I was wondering how you're going to read that. <laughs> is it semicolon, right? That is a semicolon in there. Yep. Re semicolon Quest 2 for the PlayStation and PC. Uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator for the Finally. PC. Friend of and the show, James, lastly, very excited about this. Are you gonna are you gonna play this? I, I might. It's on Game Pass, but no. I was saying, friend of the show, James, is very excited about this. Oh yes, he is. I texted him about it today. I was like, that comes out next week. He's like, I know. I already signed up for Game Pass. Goes <laughs> <laughs> show you sells itself. And lastly, Mortal Shell for PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Yes. All right, let's get into video game news because I got some stuff to say about this. Oh, stuff. man, what a news week this week. <laughs> oh, yeah. So remember how we talked about Microsoft's press conference? And remember how I said, hey, it looks like they're mixing some texture packages. <laughs> that game looks pretty unfinished. And then you, so arrogantly, I can say that now, said, what do you mean? It looks great. I watched it on my phone. There was nothing wrong with it. I still stand by what I said. Well, who's talking now as Microsoft and 343 Industries are making the decision to delay the launch of Halo Infinite to 2021? Yes. As 343 Industries says, the delay is related to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic as employees have shifted to work from home and development of large games has been particularly difficult 
for many in the industry. Quote, we have made the difficult decision to shift our release to 2021 to ensure the team has adequate, adequate time to deliver a Halo game experience that meets our vision, uh, said Chris Lee. The decision to shift our release is the result of multiple factors that have contributed to development challenges, including the ongoing COVID-related impacts affecting us all this year. I want to acknowledge the hard work from our team at 343 Industries who have remained committed to making a great game and finding solutions to development challenges. However, it is not, is not sustainable for the well-being of our team or the overall success of the game to ship it this holiday. Yeah. So they don't outright say it. But they basically say it. It's an unfinished game. So we knew it wasn't done. I mean, the game isn't, even if the game was still going to be released in November, uh, which we now know is the target month, at least, for the Xbox Series X. Um, even if that was the case, the game would still have gone gold in a couple of months. It would not be gold yet. So we would have known that the game was still in development. So I think there's an element of, yes, there's an element of they weren't quite done. They, the, the runway was short, becoming shorter and shorter, and they were concerned. That is one layer of this. But there are multiple layers here. Then there's the layer of everybody having to work from home for COVID-19 protocols, which is brought up in this quote. That's also got to affect a big game like this. From what I understand from people who know things about how game testing works, testing is really hard to do in a work from home environment because you don't necessarily, you can't just ship the entire workstation like the server that the game is operating on to a tester when they're testing from home. You have to host it on, a, host it on the internet, for example, then you have to worry about internet strength and streaming ability and stuff like that. So that's the second kind of layer to this delicious delay cake. The other layer in the delay cake, and a lot of people have pointed this out, is that just one year ago, one calendar year ago, the creative lead on Infinite was So you're telling me that this entire game had to be turned around in a year in order to make launch? It can't happen. That's too much pressure. Naughty, then, Naughty Dog could do that when they... You changed leads. Yes, but the key difference here between 343 and Naughty Dog is that last sentence of this quote. It is not sustainable for the well-being of the team or the overall success of the game to ship it. They are actually concerned about crunch. They don't want to work their employees to death. Meanwhile, every story out of Naughty Dog has been about how those employees are just worked to the bone. Mm -hmm. And the company has done nothing about it. They've embraced it. In fact, Neil Druckmann's been on the record even after the launch of, uh, of Last of Us Part Two, talking about, oh yeah, our employees loved working overtime. It's like, no, Neil, they did not. I guarantee it. That's the difference. But then on the very, very top of this delay cake, this delicious chocolate Halo-themed delay cake, is the pressure that they probably got 10 times 
after that video came out, what you were kind of alluding to at the beginning. When you have the entire internet saying that your game looks like shit, when you start comparing screenshots of Halo Infinite to screenshots that people made fun of back in 2005 from Perfect Dark Zero, you have a problem. That means your game is on fire. So that was probably the tip of the ice, like, like not tip of the iceberg is the wrong metaphor, but that was the last straw, you could say. That probably was like, made them really reflect on what that game and how that game was coming. And that was probably like, well, there's no way we can deliver a game in November that is the thing that the fans want it to be at this point. We are so, we, we, if we're going to put out something in November that's going to launch a console for Microsoft, it has to be better than this. And so they had to delay it. As much as I like all of that, yeah. here's big brain business over oh, here. here Conspiracy theory hat over here, okay? Didn't pull the hats back. Tinfoil has his back. Okay. Microsoft doesn't necessarily need Halo to be a launch event because their console, the Series X, basically runs on Game Pass. They can launch it whenever they want. They can fix it whenever they want. It's no longer a digital thing. What they're concerned about is having a possible unfinished game be the first thing you play on your brand new console and immediately regret your decision to purchase a brand new console. So I think you're half right. I think the part you're right about is that yes, Microsoft probably was also concerned about the media and fan reaction after that, after that showcase. I bet they did probably have a nice long conversation with the team at 343 about whether or not it was going to look better soon and whether they were going to be able to deliver more footage that was going to make the game look like it wasn't a disaster for the launch of their console. The part that I don't agree with, though, is that they don't need Halo and that was not part of their original, like, division. Because if it wasn't part, if it wasn't so important to them, they would not have leaned so heavily on it as they have this past year of, lead up to that showcase. Every single time they've shown off the Xbox Series X in every single way since its announcement, they've mentioned Halo Infinite. They've said, Halo Infinite launching with the Xbox Series X. Halo Infinite's going, we're going to have footage of Halo Infinite when we do our first party showcase. Every step of the way, they've mentioned it. It's been a big part of their media about it. Yes, but they cannot delay a console no. Well, could they, though? Or that's, could they? That's the other part of this. So that I want to say that at one point that was a possibility, but with Sony still breathing down their, like, down their back, waiting for them to make a move, they probably will realize this is a game of chicken and we have to keep this chicken game going as long as possible. So that's why they did the move that they did yesterday where the kind of companion news story with this is what I mentioned briefly, which is they pinpointed November as a launch month for the Series X. That's them basically saying, no, contrary to what people want to believe, we are launching without Halo. We will still launch the console this year, even though Halo is delayed. So I think that they wanted so badly Halo to be their centerpiece of this launch. They wanted it because it was the big prestige piece. Yes, I also realize that they're going heavy on Game Pass and that it's equally as important to them. 
if not more important to them, than a Halo release at launch is. But they also understand that they're Microsoft and that's Halo. It's a big optics move. It's a big hearts and minds move to have a Halo game at launch. So they are losing that by doing this. But for the good of the company and the employees who have to work on Halo, I am counting my blessings that this thing got delayed because I can't imagine what 343 would have been like after that showcase and after all that feedback came back. No, I think you're right. I think compiled onto with this coronavirus that everyone's going through, they can't have the big press event that they want. They can't have the big hype event that they want. No. Basically, it's screwed over their launch marketing. Yeah. That by pushing the game back, right, that the only marketing they can do is direct press conferences to get direct feedback. I think, yeah, I think what's happening here in this specific generation is I think people are piling on expectations for these consoles based on the past. And what we're realizing quick, more and more, like as the year goes on, is that this console launch for both companies is going to be different. It's going to be so different. It's not going to be like any console launch we've ever seen in the past. It's not going to be about what's available at launch. It's just not, like especially for Microsoft now. They're touting, oh, this thing can play thousands of games, but they're all old and they're all third party. The only first-party launch game for this console now is Gears Tactics, a game that was already released on PC. That's right, because not even Forza is going to be Forza is not at launch. Forza is 2021. Yep. That's it. It's not like... It's not, it's not your grandfather's console launch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be crazy to watch, is all I can say, is... I can't believe that that thing is still going to come out in November and there's not going to be a game for it. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't have the launch party that you want for this event. No, you can't. But there'll be a box. I don't know who's going to buy it. I don't know who it's for, but there's going to be a box. A tower. A tower, yes. Or a fridge, mini fridge. Oh, yeah. And while we're on the subject of Microsoft, just real quick, the other kind of news blip that came out this week the Series S is more or less confirmed because somebody got a hold of a retail um, controller that on the box mentions Series X and Series X. M- basically confirming that they will eventually announce a Series S, which will be a lower performing version of the Series X. So someone doing who needs to do marketing for the boxes in order to get those out to retails said... You need to have both these on there. You need to tell people what this controller will work with. So we have and to... thus showing your hand because marketing. Yeah. You can't not. You can't not. So yeah, Microsoft, again, it's one of those least, like, worst kept secrets where we knew this was happening. Microsoft just needs to just go ahead and announce it. They also said they're no longer going to call their video streams Xbox 2020. That idea has already been tossed out the window, and they're just going to announce stuff willy-nilly from now on. Yep. That's it. That's it. I swear. That's all the Microsoft stuff. But yeah, it was a crazy week for them. All right. Well, then let's get to our second news story, which also is our first thought story. Kind of. Yeah, I included this just for you. Oh, why, thank you. You're so kind. (laughs) As uh, the first big Fall Guys update is set to arrive, checks watch, checks calendar today, Wednesday, because developer... Mediatonic is ex- 
extremely online. Uh, it released the Fall Guys patch notes in the form of a Twitter thread. Yeah, that's how online they are. Yep. Uh, it leads off with the news of the new level, which is called Jump Showdown, and is basically Jump Club hard mode. Jump Showdown is my favorite uh, Japanese monthly uh, manga magazine. <laughs> Thank you for getting that. Anyways. <laughs> you, you're welcome. <laughs> I know that's not directly to me. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, on top, uh, which is on top of leaping over and under the rotating arm beam. Uh, you also. can also have to watch, you also have to watch out for collapsing floor tiles. No! That should make for a faster and more hectic Fall Guys final round. Mediatonic promises that other new levels Features and costumes are coming soon. But for now, the rest of the Fall Guys patch notes are tweaks. Mm -hmm. Uh, The biggest change is a reduction in how often Royal Fumble will show up as a final round. Which should be good news if you're a bit tired of chasing the one person with the tail back and forth. Otherwise, it's mostly about stability and fixes for certain issues like not being able to grab the crown in Fall Mountain. So, Fall Guys, huh? Yeah, Fall Guys, huh? I'm playing this. Uh, does this sound like, first, before we go into your thoughts about it, do these sound like good improvements in your, in your opinion? Uh, yes. Um, the, uh, what was it? Yeah, the Jump Club, uh, Jump Showdown. Uh, yeah, that's one of the easier levels to get by. Um, I think adding the falling floor is definitely going to make it more challenging. I think that should also add to the basically 10. Yeah. The final 10, so that way you're not running around all the time. You have to be within a certain area, otherwise you're running out of tiles. Yeah, and as for, I've heard people really shit on this royal fumble mode. Have you experienced this, and is it as bad as people say? It's king of the hill. Yeah. Yeah. I almost won this uh, King of the Hill style. Yeah. I say almost because I got flung off, and as I was laying on the ground, the guy picked it up with two seconds left, and I couldn't do a damn thing about oh, it. Oh, that sucks. So, what is Fall Guys? It is uh, Wipeout, the Battle Royale video game. Yeah. It's MXC. Mm-hmm. MXC. It is platforming the conquest it's it's cartoony it's fun it's little jelly bean men running and jumping from my understanding so here's my understanding of what this thing is is it's a uh series of mini games uh but it's competitive and it's like a battle royale in which when you are eliminated from those mini games you are out and you can no longer win and you just keep playing mini games until it's whittled down to a winner. Yes. Uh, but unlike Battle Royales, which start at 99, mm-hmm. this one only put 60 per game session. Still a pretty big number. Yeah. But you rolls it down by about 12 each round or tries to. Um, the games themselves are fun it's just basic platforming of running and jumping and avoiding the obstacles yeah my understanding you so you have like three only three things you can do you can jump you can grab and you can dive yep that's it okay and because of its simplicity 
everyone loves it. Yeah. Everyone here loves it. They love playing it. They have suggested, um, doctor has suggested, hey, why don't you play the Fall Guys game? (laughs) I want to play that. So it's very welcoming to all types of gamers. You don't have to be, unlike with uh, Fortnite, like a good at shooting. Right. You have to find success with Fall Guys. And I think that's one of the better successes that it does is you don't have to be first or make the top 10 within any of these mini games. You have to not be last or in order to not be eliminated, Um, which is helpful because that kind of like add to the pressure of, oh no, like the spots are running down. I better, I need to book it. I need to do better. I need to do faster. Also, it's not like when you get eliminated, like that's it. You're just done. But you just can keep reviving and you can get through it with many tries. I've had times where I have completely sucked ass at the beginning of the level to where I'm in dead last place, but still end up making the cut because hmm. other people suck more, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> so yeah, you're enjoying your time with it. Is it fun to play? Yeah, they run really fast. I've posted some video gameplay on our YouTube uh, for it, including a seven-minute run, victory run, from start to finish, which I dubbed the fastest run ever to try and get some views. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it is a fun, fun game. I definitely recommend you playing this. It is very easy to pick up and go. It's just run forward and jump. Uh, There are the when it gets into team-based games that's when it can be very competitive because you're no longer relying on your own skill you're relying on other people's skill and sometimes oh you don't get paired with the best people says the internet i think the the one game that i absolutely hate playing is the egg drop game Mm -hmm. where there's like 15 20 eggs in the middle and everyone has to pick up an egg and carry it to your goal to count as a point but in doing so that's you walking up picking it up and walking without getting hit or knocked off or pulled back really annoying and people can take them out of your goal too yeah but that annoys like adds to the hilarity that is the game right there's a little jelly bean then running around in costumes and so, so yeah you would definitely recommend so this is on uh, PlayStation 4 right now it's free with PlayStation Plus uh, subscription. Yes. But there's also a PC version. Um, and so, yeah, you would recommend that if you have a, um, a PlayStation Plus as a no-brainer, just give download and give it a try. Oh, yeah, it's a no-brainer. Just give it 15 minutes. If you're not satisfied, if you're not, if it's within an hour, you think it's the worst thing ever, like, go ahead and delete it. But you will be hooked. Yeah, I downloaded it. Um, or no, I didn't download it. I added it to my library. I haven't downloaded and installed it yet. Mm. I've been playing a different too much of a different game. What have you been playing? Uh, well, it's a combination of two things, really. One is an old game, which I guess technically gets updates all the time, so it's not really that old. And the other one is a brand new game, which I will be talking about briefly. Um, I guess I should do that now. I guess yeah. you're done. Oh, yeah. No, we're done. Yeah, the, the review of that is just download and play it. It's a fun yeah, game. Do it. do it. Any other questions? No, that's it. Anyway, uh, let's talk about Anyways, game yes. that I talk to me about this game that I cannot play. You can't play it. It's not on Google. Oh, ha. 
It's not on the Android app. It's an iOS only game. Well, sucks for you. It does, because uh, I tried to find this game. Yeah. His stuff will event his stuff in the past has come to Android. It just takes a while for them to make it. So right. hold your horses, it'll be there. But I want to talk about good Sudoku. Yes. Uh, so I tried to find good Sudoku by typing in good Sudoku. And it didn't pop up. Just yeah. random Sudoku games popped up. So what makes this different from the other 50-plus versions that it tried to get me to download? So, good Sudoku. I kind of talked about this in my thoughts piece, which went up yesterday on MediaBoatPodcast.com. But basically, the creator's good Sudoku, uh, a man named Zach Gage, who has um, developed other games I've actually talked about on this, uh, on this podcast. Remember Sage Solitaire? Yes. Um, so he basically was uh, looking at uh, Sudoku apps and was trying to find one that would do a really good job of teaching him how to know like techniques in Sudoku, to teach him how to get better at Sudoku. And what he found out is that he hated pretty much every Sudoku app he played. He just didn't think it represented the pen and paper version of Sudoku well enough. So what does he do as a game developer himself? Well, he decides to make that game. And the result is good Sudoku. Be the game creator you want to see. Yes, exactly. Make the game you want to see in the world. So good Sudoku is, in my opinion, the best Sudoku app out there. And the reasons why are kind of twofold. One, it has tools, note-taking tools specifically, that make doing Sudoku on an app as easy as doing it on a piece of paper. And the second thing is, is that it doubles as a teaching tool. So it's great for people who are just learning Sudoku, who've never played Sudoku before. It is a perfect way of learning how Sudoku works. Or two, if you're like me, somebody who has played a lot of Sudoku, but always have those puzzles where you run into a frickin' brick wall because there's some sort of strategy you just don't know in order to solve it. It's also great for that because it is built to teach you techniques that the pros use that the average person person doesn't understand. I have in the past tried to teach myself these techniques by looking them up and just trying to read them and understand them. And I've never been able to actually like hold the information in my brain. It just bounces right off of me. I have like the ideas of what it's trying to tell me, but I can never apply it because I always try to do it and just get frustrated that it's not like easy to implement or that I can't see it visually in the puzzles. So the note-taking like, tools in this game are designed specifically to make learning those techniques easier. So if you don't mind, I'm going to get into the weeds of some Sudoku strategy real quick, just to give you an ex- example of how intricate this gets. So there's notes, of course. You could just take notes on what numbers are in a specific cell. In order to make it easier for you so that we don't have freaking carpal tunnel poking every, sing- every single cell, there's an auto note feature. It is a godsend. You can press one button, populates all the notes. So boom, already a great quality of life feature that saves you a lot of busy work. But then there's a second way you can do notes. You can highlight specific notes to make them different than the other notes you have. This is crucial because the advanced strategies, the ones that I learned through Good Sudoku that I didn't know before, rely on you being able to pinpoint certain notes over others. For example, 
notes of a certain number that only appears once in a cell once or sorry i should say twice twice in a cell twice in a row twice in a column and you need to see those in order to eliminate other options so you can kind of see how that would actually make solving sudoku puzzles way easier if you're able to visualize when there are only two in a certain column so the game does this both manually and automatically. And what I mean by that is manually, there is a book icon next to pretty much every glossary word. And you can click on that and be like, what does this mean? So if that way, if you're unsure exactly what a term means that they're using, you can know instantly and you just know from there on what that means. But then the automatic way is through the hint system. So other Sudoku apps have hint systems, right? But usually in a Sudoku app, you press hint and it just basically gives you a number. Nine out of 10 times, that's usually what it is. That's not the case here. Good Sudoku tells you, this is a strategy that you can use to solve these two cells. Like it points, or one cell or something, it points that sounds like you can use uh, like the X-wing strategy here to figure out what this is. And then if you want more information, you can click on that note and actually have it show you what it means by that. Or you can take that knowledge and be like, oh, well, I know that strategy. Now I know what to do. So that is why it's a learning tool. It's teaching you in its way of applying this knowledge yourself instead of relying on the game to do it for you. So it's not a tool to cheat. It's a tool to learn. And I have actually been getting better at Sudoku from this app. Is that a good thing? I think so. It's, it's great, I think. Because I'm going to be able to use that later when I'm doing a real Sudoku puzzle in, in, on, with a pencil and paper, and I'm going to be able to apply what I've learned here. So I think it's pretty cool. I think it's a really cool thing. There's leaderboards uh, for the daily, champ, uh, daily challenges. So that way, if you're somebody who wants to be the best Sudoku player ever, you can do that. Um, it's also has a uh, few more modes that are unlocked if you uh, pay $2.99 to unlock the whole game. I probably will end up doing that because I feel like I'm going to run into a wall where I'm going to have completed all the expert puzzles. So I'm going to- It's only $3. Also, it's only $3. Um, so yeah, if you have an iOS device, this is iPhone or iPad, I definitely recommend this game, if, especially if you're either new to Sudoku and curious or if you're a Sudoku veteran who wants a great Sudoku app, I think every ring of that, every rung of that ladder, no matter where you're at with Sudoku, this is the ideal Sudoku app. Uh, thanks for reminding me that I do have an iPad to play this on. Yes, there you go. Although, depending on the age of that iPad, you may or may not be able to download it. I understand that to, that newer games and newer apps are unavailable on the older iPads. For example, friend of the friend of the show, Christy, has my old iPad, which I want to say is maybe the same generation as yours, but maybe older. Um, and it won't, it wouldn't let her download the HBO Max app. Ooh. Yeah. There's a, there's a wall at some point. So just a warning. Though so something this low tech, maybe you're fine. It looks like it's downloading. It's hey! entitled Good Sudoku by Zach Gage. That's, that's it. Okay. All right. Well, mess around with it. See if you like it. I think it's great. But yeah, I've been well, playing. I read your review of it on the Mutual Podcast website. Yes. 
Okay. And I, that's why I went to go search for it. And yeah. because I couldn't find it. Very, very good. But yes, um, the other game I've been playing and getting way too deep into is uh, 2017's hotness, Destiny 2. <laughs> On the PC. So yeah, you know how when we previously talked about Destiny, I had said that I would probably end up playing it on the Xbox since I found out that the DLC through Game Pass is only coming through Xbox Game Pass. Right. Well, I downloaded Destiny 2 for the Xbox Series X, or not Series X, I don't have Series X, I'm not from the future. The Xbox (laughs) One X, um, and played a little bit of it. And I realized, oh no, I've become that guy. I've become that snob. Going from the PC version to the Xbox version cuts the frame rate in half. It cuts your field of view too. It's just not the same. I was having such a hard time with the Xbox version of that game. And I was like disgusted with myself. I was like, oh no. I've become a 60 frames or bust guy. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Well, it'll be happy with the next generation then, I guess. <laughs> So yeah, I, I thought about it and I was like, well, it's $50 for the thing that just catches me up. And then it's $40 when Beyond Light comes out. That's not that bad. Oh, you said tell yourself that now. So but also I, remember, you just spent $1,700 on the PC itself. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I ended up ponying up on Steam for the $50 for the upgrade package, so I have both the DLC packages now. Okay. So I have all of the Destiny 2 up to this point. So now it's well, just... Well, at least you have it. Now I'm just gonna... I've literally been playing every day. I'm, like, in it now. I'm way in it. I'm over a thousand... Like, I got to over a thousand power. I'm, like, <laughs> doing some of the seasonal events. I did the seasonal event yesterday with the European Aerial Zone. I'm, like, in it. I, like... Yeah, I'm in it. Um, um, they got me. It took a while, but it turns out that I was just waiting to play the PC version. Turns out Destiny 2 is actually a good game. Turns out it's great, actually. And that when it first came out, we poo-pooed it because there wasn't any content. The thing with Destiny is you have to wait until there's enough to do. No. <laughs> that, that's not a game to be released then. <laughs> I know. But yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Um... And yeah, I'm excited to catch up to uh, where I'm ready for the Beyond Light stuff in November. Okay. Well, does that wrap us up here then? That's it. That's all I've been doing. That's all I've been playing. It's probably all I will be playing. All right. Well, I'll probably stream some more Fall Guys. Yeah. Which you can catch on our YouTube channel because we're not streaming on Twitch, right? Yeah, if you know the password, by the way, for that, can you send it to my way? I want to see if I can do some streaming via the GeForce Now, some of the... Oh, yeah, you know, you should be able to. Uh, uh, yeah, if you can send me those credentials, I don't have them. It's just Google. Is it the Gmail stuff? Yeah. I don't think I have that anymore either. You don't have access to the Gmail? Yeah, I think at some point you started having access to that and I lost it. So, yeah, just send me the oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, no, I added it to my phone. So it must have taken off yours. I'll figure it out because I want to see if I can do some streaming off of my computer. Yeah, you um, can. It's just stream captures. Yeah, yep. I'll have to check that out. All right, perfect. Well then, plug away then. All right, so thank you for joining us for this edition of the Media Boat Podcast. We'll be back next week for another episode. Until then, you can see our archives of our video versions of these op- uh, podcasts 
what am I saying? Uh, on YouTube.com. Just search YouTube for Media Bow Podcast and find our page. You can also find the audio versions on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts or any RSS feed-driven service you use. Search Media Boat Podcast to find us there. You can also find us on social media at Media Boatcast is our Twitter handle. I, you may or may not still have a Facebook presence. Uh, <laughs> you can email us at gmail.com uh, at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com specifically. And yeah, you can uh, watch us play video games every once in a while on YouTube as well. So check that out and look forward to more streams to come. But yep. for now, we leave you. We bid you adieu. We'll Until be back next- with more thoughts next week. Uh, yeah. More news next week. All the above. All right. Catch it. We'll be back next week. See you next week one more time. Next week. All right, bye. Bye.